Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we wrap up our discussion of King Henry V. If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, please reach out to us at facebook.com slash lionfaceproductions. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Shakespeare and at Shakespeare Pod. And now, on with the show. Outside beer again because the last outside beer I brought for like, got two sips. Let's uh, let's make Cassie drink this beer. Are we was, recording? Uh, yeah, we are now. Okay. We are now. All right, all right. Was a raging success. Um, and by well, that, rage, I know, raging success. <laughs> but you drink, I drank two more sips. than one sip, and you didn't make, the and face. you didn't make the, and I didn't make the face. You didn't make the face. So, um, because I already knew what I was going to drink tonight in honor of this play being Newcastle's, of course for uh, sentimental reasons, and Boddington's Pub Ale, um, because it also fits with the, uh, the Boar's Head crowd, and it's, you know, it's another good, good uh, British beer. The, the other British beer that I have brought before, when we did a trial recording in the beginning, and we did this, uh, was Old Speckled Hen. That's the other one. Mm-hmm. Old, Old Speckled Hen is another, yeah, it's another good, solid one to drink, but... I I was being nice to Cassie, and so... I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to do... Let's make Cassie drink this beer! Yay! Oh. So this is an Oddside Ales Raspberry Blood Orange Fruit Sickle. I would like Chase to write a jingle for this game. Yeah, we need, we need the jingles for... <laughs> make Cassie drink this beer! Your want has been noted. <laughs> It won't be fulfilled. <laughs> like so many things, welcome he's to just gonna, He's just going to make a remix of me going, let's make Cassie drink this beer. Let's make Cassie drink this beer. Octum. Make Cassie drink this beer. Schnell Octum. Do it. Do it. Do it. Why dogs? It's a German sounding word. Schnauzers are German dogs. All right. In the interest of getting this recorded quickly. There was a first sip. She doesn't seem like she hates it's it, but not, she doesn't love uh, it. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's not cold not, enough. No. No, it's cold enough. I just no, I wouldn't take a second it. sip. All of right, that. Beth. Now you need to try that. It gets it. It's like the initial taste is not good. Swallowing is is better. It gets Jesus better, but Christ. I don't. Oh, Beth I'll, made a worse face than I did. I'll try that. Okay, so first of all, I don't like fruit in beer. We'll put it that way. That tastes like a seltzer that went bad by sitting out in the sun too long. It does take like a taste like a slightly alcoholic Lacroix. So, oh, we found that it's called White Claw, right? White Claw. <laughs> oh, oh Sarah, is that the, the alcoholic seltzers? Yeah. When Sarah Erkenbrecher Freiling came up for my son's birthday party, uh, she also brought a twelve pack of alcoholic seltzers, which gets you drunker than you think, faster mm-hmm. than you think, and not in an actual "I feel drunk" way. But and the next thing it? you know, you and Sarah and Rachel are hugging each other on the floor. Uh, giggling about makeup. <laughs> so, is that's, it, but it that's does, like, it is. is it the same as LaCroix in that, like, 
whoever made the flavors like vaguely dreamed of the fruit that the flavor was. Yeah. Somebody shouting yeah. watermelon from the this next is, room. No, this is definitely yeah. somebody shouting the name of your favorite ghost from the next room. Ghost? Goza. Goza. Yeah, Goza. Yeah. German style of beer from oh, okay. the River it's a, Goslar. It's, so, a, it's a dry fruit beer. That it's is like so, hey, it's a salty hey, sour. Did you ever uh, drink one of those ice pops when they weren't totally frozen? Is that kind of what this is? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried it make, yet. Let's just make it alcoholic. Now that we've all shared, I hope who's sick. That's why I waited to last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at yeah. Would not drink again. But not as successful as the first go round, but not bad. No. Not bad. I would probably so, drink more of that. Tips to success are things with mango. Yep. Um, but they had the mango one there again, but I didn't. I didn't get it this time because the I mango habanero she is against. So anyway, that was this week's episode of Make Cassie Drink This Beer. Make Cassie Drink This Beer. Make Cassie Drink This Beer. Forcing Thank our you. friends through peer pressure, just as we force our friends through peer pressure. To re- listen to our podcast about Shakespeare. Yeah, it's harder to force people to listen to it unless you're actually, like, in the same place as them at the same time. Or you're like, husband, why don't you listen to my podcast anymore? To which he says, because you guys cuss a lot and the boys are always around me. He has headphones. Yeah, but then he can't hear it when the boys decide to destroy each other. Put one ear in. in. <laughs> one, one bud in one ear and then he can still hear the boys. Or duct tape the boys to opposite walls. So or back did, to back on a chair. I had a friend like, who suggested just get the helmets. Like just last get the helmets and see if they go. All right, so I'm putting some perpetual pins on the wall. Agency oh. equipment, like so things that we talk about, we talk about all every, the time. At every episode. just like boxes yeah. to make sure we check. Yeah. So let's check the. Agency. It does not include is the Sorcerer's Apprentice adaptation. Are of the you tempest. using the paneling on your walls to create different columns? Have you met me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, let's agency, talk about agency of women. There is none uh, because there are no women. <laughs> Even, yeah, there are three female roles in the play. They are plot points. Not, uh, not really women. Quickly is the only one that is an actual character. But she is just an exposition point to get John dead. To get yes. the men involved. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't have any agency. She can't even get women around her because if she does, they'll all be whores. they'll be whores. Yeah, which we talked about briefly. Uh, uh, <laughs> but even Kate, as he calls her, and Alice and Alice babe. taking her from Catherine down to Kate even diminishes her as a person. Yeah, down from the regality that she is to, Kate. and that's my thing too is that she is. She's a princess of France. She's royalty. But we spend every scene with her showing the ways in which she is unintelligent. Yep. Um, el- how do you say elbow? Elbow. Like, it just, it's... There is no world in which a princess of a foreign court doesn't know more than one language. Yeah. It, it, not even in today's society is that a thing. So, bleh, to the women's agency in this. That's not what it's about. I understand that. I don't like it. You're better off but, doing what Travis did and actually cutting... And that's the thing. I feel like Agency of Women gets a negative zero 
you know, in its column, if you can literally remove all of the female characters, and it doesn't affect affect anything, and we know that you can remove the female characters from this show, because we did. We did it with with one-third, 33% of the female characters. And it is done frequently. Yeah. It is a frequent cut to this Well, play. part of the problem is, is it was written with their scenes, with Kate and Alice's scenes, or Catherine and Alice's scenes, are written in French. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, that comes to one of our pins. Why do we have... Why French, French sometimes? sometimes? Why French sometimes? Um, I was writing while you were eating a donut, and I wanted one. So that's why that came out that way. A pushki um, and a donut are not the same. In the same way that an enchilada and a chalupa are not the same, but they really are just made of the same things. But they're completely different. Uh, but but an enchilada are completely different. Just completely different. Sure. Anyway, all right. So um, so yes. Yeah, so why French sometimes? So we've decided. We've decided. Shakespeare has decided to write certain scenes all in French, mm-hmm. so that they are. Unable to be understood. Yeah. The scenes where we have actual French being spoken on stage are the scenes between Catherine and Alice. Yes. And the scene with the French soldier that Pistol meets. Yeah, and then there's a few other times where it's sprinkled in. Here and there. Yeah. Kind of to remind you, like, these people are French. Here's what I love. Yeah, and that's basically what it's there for. But in those scenes at least. When I think of and this happens all the time in period pieces. Everybody has an English accent. Everybody has an English accent and that just means that they're speaking whatever foreign language it is. Yes, that's accurate. But that's what we've done here. And like the scene with the soldier who only speaks French reminds me a lot of Band of Brothers where they capture the uh, German soldier. Yes. And he speaks only German except for like Three or four words. Band of Brothers, speaking of, which gets its name from Henry V. Henry V. Yes. And I, I feel like it's it's a device that's used, and I don't think it's unique to this play, but it's kind of saying, hey, audience, this is a construction, this is a story that you're watching, we want to make sure you understand it, so whenever we're in the point of view of these characters, they're going to be speaking a language that you can understand, we want you also, though, to be aware that in reality, they're, they're, speak- speaking they're speaking their own language. language. So when we're with the English, everybody's speaking English. When we're exclusively with the French, everybody's speaking French. When the two are mixed in a scene together, like Pistol and the French Soldier, then we're going to have both because translation is a plot point at that point. Yes. And the same with Catherine and Alice. Translation is a plot point. So we've yes. got this bouncing back and forth. Which is just an interesting way of doing a transformative language. Well, I was saying, Catherine, the Catherine Alice thing, too, part of the agency of women thing, actually, is a throwback with the language, is Catherine learning English. There's no scene. Her maid, or whatever Alice yeah. is, knows more English than there's, she does. There's no scene where Henry what? learns French. Nope. No. He doesn't have to. No. Why would he? Exactly. And that's part of, you know, where the language there is also a throwback to the fact that there is no agency for the, the women in this play. Even a princess has no agency. Nope. Yeah. You yeah. have to do what you're told. All right. So what's our next one we want to hit on? Um, his tombstone an adaptation. Well, let's, let's five. talk about, let's talk about one of the most famous adaptations first. Um, one of the most famous, most well done adaptations, which is the film version from 1989. I did not realize it was that old. I didn't either. And it is one of the, like, Kenneth Branagh has done a shitload 
of adaptations of Shakespeare's works. Well, one of the things that he's, he's known for. He is known this, for adapting. Isn't this the adaptation, though, that they were like, all right, we'll do three of whatever you want. We'll do whatever the fuck you want because you did this one. And this is one of the most well-done, well-known, well-done, amazing adaptations yeah. of Shakespeare. One of the few times Kenneth Branagh gets the ages right. And Branagh, Branagh is spectacular yeah. in is it incredible. as Henry. Uh, Brian Blessed is in it, which is, of course, amazing. And yeah. I think you're you're sleeping a bit on the star of the movie, which is a very young Christian Bale. Yes, Christian as Bale. The, the, boy. the boy. Who doesn't want to go where they're running with pointy things. Yes. I don't want to go over there. I will die over there. Um, we watched... no, it's, it's, it's an amazing adaptation. Yeah, we watched it. We kind of watched it in Stephanie Gehart's class um, in that she said, hey, I can't actually take class time to show this to you because it's really fucking long. It is long. Um, it was two VHS. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Back in the days, VHS but... it was a double VHS. <laughs> Braveheart's also a double VHS, so. But I have rented out or, you know, reserved the theater on this day at this time. And I highly encourage you to come watch Henry the Five, which we'll be playing. And there was another... I watched it with Heather and Josh because I think they had to watch it for a class as well. So there was another class that kind of, like, dovetailed. Um, but I watched it for Shakespeare, Stephanie Gearhart. I had to write a paper about it. And it's, it's just so good. And it is an amazing adaptation of, you know, of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great film version of everything. And there's also, it looks like a film version from 1979. It doesn't surprise me. It retains more features of a stage production. Oh, um, I'm going to. I'll just talk but about it, it now. But it, yeah. Derek Jacoby is in the Kenneth Branagh version. He's the chorus. Mm-hmm. He's a Jacoby? Yes. He wants to bring King Charles back? Yes. All right. Um and, and one of the but things Jack that I remember bites. loving about the Kenneth Branagh version is that it actually starts, like, in an empty theater. Yeah. Like, backstage at an empty theater. It's Derek Jacoby as the chorus giving the Ophra Muse a fire speech, walking through, like, single set pieces and past a ghost light and past, like, costume racks. And as he talks about, you know, but we're going to transport you away from here, like, the walls of the theater disappear and all of a sudden he's on a field. No, yeah. It was really, really well done. And I loved it because I loved the the meta nature of that. It's one that, it's really one that Branagh really did well. And he really got it right. Yeah, and I like... There are others of Branagh's that I'm not, you know, uh, as big on, but this one... Yeah, I really liked his Hamlet, but also, there's a lot of things in that Hamlet that were like... You know, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of his Hamlet, and we'll talk about that when we do do Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah, so, uh, but we usually talk about Kenneth Branagh when we're... Well, that's because a lot of the the more famous plays, there is a Branagh version. So if you have a chunk of time... Seriously, sit down and watch it. It's 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 very good. It's very well done. It's on Amazon Prime, and it really harkens. I think I mentioned this during one of the Henry Fours. Um, it really makes it clear because I I read over the paper that I wrote for this class, Mm -hmm. and I started it off by saying, "When I just read this script with no uh, like outside knowledge of the history beyond he used to be this party boy and now he's a king." I didn't like Henry. 
when I first read the script, I didn't like him. I thought he was, you know, bombastic and long-winded, and I just didn't feel a sense of humanity from him. But when I watched the Kenneth Branagh version, and they really tied it back into, they they made connections between where he is in the present as a king and where he came from. Especially well, when he has to deal with the traitors and he has to deal with Bardolph, Bardolph being, and Bardolph being hung. And yeah, it, the, that performance is wonderfully done. And like infusing that humanity in him and the way that they do the campfire scene. I came away from watching that movie going, okay, Henry, okay, Henry, I get it. Henry Britton is bombastic and things like that. But yeah. it's, it's the humanity that you get Even, when you bring it to life that... Even the humanity that you get just on paper, in context with the other two plays. Because yes. I didn't really like Henry of the Last Play. I was very clear of it. But that's the midpoint. So yeah. you go from fun Henry. Fun Henry, transition Henry, and then king right. Henry. Yeah. And I feel like when you look at him as a full context, this may be the most, and there's most time spent on Henry, but the most flushed out. Henry character, uh, character in Shakespeare. He's uh-huh. so well-rounded. Um, so, in one of the adaptations we you wrote up, is Tombstone an adaptation of Henry V? Alright, I've got a few things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for this! Ryan is accessing notes. Uh, there, there are no, uh, that I'm aware of, YA novelizations of Henry V. Or webs, literary web series. Based we'll have to, on Henry we'll have to find one. Um, so, I don't know what it would be, though. One of the things. I'm going to say Dragon Ball Z is probably one of them. <laughs> <laughs> While Ryan's working on Tombstone, I'll work on that. Um, so I don't actually know anything about that except for they get bigger and bigger. One, and of, the things that, one of the things that obviously draws the two uh, works together is the fact that I'm coming, in. I'm coming and help come with Well, there's that and the fact that, you know. Wyatt Earp is clearly an allegory for Henry V, even though Wyatt Earp was a real person um, and existed and did a lot of things that happened in Tombstone. But one of the things that really draws them together is, uh, as performed by our good friend Billy Zane. <laughs> in, in the show, Billy Zane. In Tombstone. We don't know Billy Zane. We don't know Billy Zane. <laughs> don't, sue, don't sue us. In Tombstone, Billy Zane delivers the St. Crispin's Day speech in the opera house on stage in front of where the cowboys and everyone is there and before they do, before they do Dr. Faust's Billy Zane you know as they like he's got he's out there in his you know doublet and hose and they he walks out and there's a a bust of Shakespeare next to him and one of the cowboys shoots the bust of Shakespeare and he's brushing Marble chips off his shoulder as he begins to deliver the St. Crispin's Day speech. Um, I would say also Wyatt Earp is a man of the people in the same way that Henry was. Um, and that Doc Holliday, um, was the best kick, kiss ass <laughs> in the same way. So Doc um, Holliday is Fluellen? Is Fluellen. Hmm. Um, and then you also have somebody running between the two gangs, given yes. given ultimatums like um, Murgatroyd is what was going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> Murgatroyd, yeah, Murgatroyd, yeah, Montjoy, Montjoy, like Montjoy does, like uh, yeah. Montjoy, 
Uh, no, so I mean, it is, you know, so I guess the, the shootout at the OK Corral is hard floor. They, everybody expected them to die. They went in with a small number of people. Yep. So against here's... a much larger number. Maybe even five to one. I don't know if there was 20 people there, but there was five people. No, yeah. But here's the important question when you're talking about adaptive literature. <laughs> Here comes Cassie. Does everybody else see Cassie walk into the room with a big, like, Ryan and I have our balloons. We've been letting them go. They're so pretty, aren't they? If you see the pin in Cassie's hand, she's going to fucking pop our balloons. All she right. is. All right, let's, let's hear it. What you have to keep in mind with adaptive literature is that there's a difference between one work being a direct, direct adaptation of another work and both works simply playing on the same tropes. Fine, you win. Well, yes. no, and I, I agree. They, so, it is it is largely <laughs> coincidental. This but the <laughs> fact the fact that when when it came up with when Hell's coming with me and the, you know everything like that, which is a direct line from Tombstone, and Beth used to reference what Henry was saying. And the fact that Billy Zane does deliver the St. Crispin's Day speech in Tombstone, which Beth had apparently forgotten about. I did forget about that. That's one just... of the things that always sticks with me is, is that, is, <coughs> as a pop culture thing, St. Crispin's Day pops up in pop culture. Band of Brothers, that, the, the famous HBO series about World War Two is named Band of Brothers because of a line from the St. Crispin's Day speech. Right, no, absolutely. And um, I, I understand when we write things like, is the Sorcerer's Apprentice an adaptation of The Tempest? Yeah. We are not serious. Can you no. just, but adaptive but, literature is one of my favorite genres oh, yeah, of no, literature. And, I, I, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about yeah. that question in particular. Um, so my husband has a phrase he says over and over again, which is that um, correlation is not causation. Yes. I think that's exactly what you're saying here. Just because, something, just yeah. because something correlates doesn't mean yeah. the other thing caused it. Specifically, there's a book called The Long, Long Sleep, and it gets touted everywhere as a Sleeping Beauty retelling. And I don't think it is, and I will argue with people about it. Nobody wants to argue with me about it. <laughs> I haven't read the long. <laughs> I haven't read the people long. People don't want to argue with Cassie about it because none of them have read the book. Yeah. Exactly, but there, everybody goes, "This is a Sleeping Beauty retelling," and I read it and I went, "Okay, so there's it's a science fiction. There's a girl. She's in stasis. She's been in stasis for a long time." Then she gets woken up from stasis. This seems like it's a Sleeping Beauty adaptation in the same way that the uh, Anne Rice Sleeping Beauty books are a Sleeping Beauty adaptation. Yeah. Which is not at all. Some of the premise may be borrowed. Yeah, the premise might be, like, you've got a long sleep and you've got someone waking up from a long sleep, but that doesn't make it. Wait, does that mean Aliens 2 is an adaptation? Aliens? Yeah. Does that mean Halo is an adaptation (laughs) of Sleeping Beauty? Yes, it does. Master Chief. So, but, um, yes, yes. So, so I like to think about that question with adaptive. Oh, no, no, and it's a good point. It just happened, it just happens that there were some things that popped up the way that it was being discussed, that it was like, oh, well, this is kind of funny. Because yes. knowing the fact that the St. Crispin's Day speech is actually in the movie Tombstone. Absolutely. And another, you know, one of the things that I always remember, too, is like, uh, I also said, well, Born of the Breach pops up in pop mm-hmm. culture. It does. One of the... Uh, it pops up in daily life. Like, how many... Yeah. Like, that like, is a phrase that has worked its way into our yeah, vernacular. And one of the movies that it, I, like, it stuck with me when I saw this movie for the first time, because I was like, oh, that's that's clever, because, you know, was uh, the... 
Oh, shoot, now I can't remember the name of it. Oh, From Hell, the Jack the Ripper movie, mm-hmm. um, where the the uh, constable you yeah. know, looks at all the men and goes, what's more to the breach, dear friend? And everybody's like, just looks at him, he's like, well, not Shakespeare fans or whatever. Yeah, and and I think, okay, so we talk a lot about how, you know, Shakespeare added such and such so many words to the English language. And yes. Eyeball. I would argue that slightly, but he he at least he at least, he at least familiarized wrote them down them. and popularized yeah. them. Because somebody made the point that if he was really creating words left and right, his audiences wouldn't have been able to understand what was actually going on. No, but, but he, he, popularized he popularized the vernacular. Them. Yeah, and, and he there, took it and spread it. There are lots of phrases that we use that originated with Shakespeare that we may or may not be aware of. And this, I think, is one of those phrases, once more yeah. to the breach, dear friend, which moves us into the perpetual pin of language. Yes. Um, this show has some of the most like famous emphatic Indians emphatic just speeches in yep. general like beautiful speeches well and like St. Crispin's face uh, is the most in my in my opinion the most inspirational speech written in the English language and the underscoring the Kenneth Branagh version with the music is very yeah. well done so well placed good. Oh, good. So it's like Ryan's this really quiet love to the DVD tonight <laughs> I need, to, I need to watch it again. I was going to watch it again today, but I was not. I was not feeling great. I slept in, and, you know, and I had a sick wife at home. So, All right, so we've got a time constraint. Let's move on. What do we want to do now? All right, so Henry and James. Henry and James something okay. is what the pin says. Because well, it's, 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 I didn't know, because Beth know just said, okay. Harry and James, Henry and James, and I'm like, oh, okay. So a lot of the correlations here, Henry and Henry is shown going out into the crowd, into the people, in disguise. Um, and that is something that James I is also known to have done. And James I was king when this play was, was written. When it was written, yes. Um, and Shakespeare had a habit of... Right. Make, keeping it real. Keep it, well, he had a habit of trying to glorify the things that James did. Now, well, because he was getting paid. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> he can't and, get that paper. And it will... To quote Ben Affleck, you do one one for the money and one for the critics. Yes. So, James would go out into the populace to see what was going on in his kingdom itself. He wasn't very good at hiding it. It was basically the early version of, of Gallup polls or, you know... Uh, right, but everybody knew it was him, even if he was wearing, like, a terrible hat. Um, <laughs> and a terrible mustache. Put the crown around the hat. That was right. the giveaway. The fake right. mustache yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he put the crown around the fedora that he would wear out into the night. Um, he invented the fedora. He sure did. But he would also go Shot out. Crown. He would also go out to uh, witch hunts. Oh. So, but he he was well known for going out into the into the people to see what was going on, just so he could better lead them to get the lay of the land. Right. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Who made a uh, Alan Cummings made a guest appearance in Doctor Who. Yes, doing this recently, and uh, it's very, very funny. Little bit further into the like ridiculous than the histories that I have read of it. Um, but this idea that Henry V went down into the people and was talking to them, there is literally no historical evidence that, that would have happened. 
But it but could be there as a shout out to James. To James and what he's doing. Like, keep, keep it up, sir. You really are a man of the people. Woohoo! Um, but it, it's, it works wonderfully in this play and it does create one of the best scenes in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if it was there, it's, it's simply I think it's a, one of the most humanizing scenes in yeah. any show. Well, and like, life. and like I said, you know, that, that, the, the, right after all, the, everyone else leaves and it's Henry alone on the stage and he's like, oh, you know, he's like talking about holding himself accountable and, and mm-hmm. everything else. And he's like, oh shit, you know, like, what if we all do die here? You know, like, he, he does care about the people that he is leading potentially to their deaths. Yeah. You know, and, and that scene really shows it, and especially that speech at the end, you know, there's a yeah. lot of character development and growth. So if you spent two plays showing the debauchery and um, slow humanization of a monarch, to then tie it all back into the monarch who is currently ruling in a good way, yeah. <laughs> means yeah. that you might get away with showing the debauchery of a monarch. Yep. And I, I like that the scene with him sitting with the people and listening to them kind of leads him. It's interesting to juxtapose Once More Into the Breach against St. Crispin's Day. Oh, yeah. Because Once More Into the Breach is like, come on, keep fighting. We can do this. Keep going. Don't give up now. Once once More Into the Breach is like is your typical your, rallying cry. It's, it's your like, standard, it's your standard halftime. The day may come when the bravery of men will fail, but today yeah. is not that day. Yeah. It's like, it's every rally cry. It's, 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 it's your, it's your standard halftime speech. It's you know, hanging the coach is, kitten. It's Monday. Yeah it's, yeah. it's the coach in there in the locker room telling <laughs> the kids that, yeah, you know, and then, uh, St. Crispin's Day is, is, Isn't uh, it? fucking Bill, uh, Pullman and fucking Independence Day. Mm. I like the acknowledgement. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, yeah, today yeah. is our Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. And, but know. I like I like the reality that that speech involves Henry saying to his men, "Look, yes, we might die. Yep. We might. If you we might. Are I to might. Die, we are now to do our country loss. Yeah, we might die, but it will have been in pursuit of righteousness." Glory. You will die brave martyrs. They will sing your names. The world will know your names and know what you did here today. And that's worth giving up your life for. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it's well written. Mm-hmm. And it is just... Like I said, I... Not, this, everybody loves this speech. It's this, may, speech. this may not be my favorite play, but it, this is probably my favorite speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this... This speech, this scene, this is the most human. Yes. This is the most of a mere helipped nature. Yeah. That I think it gets. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree. And that the scene that we're talking about with where he's out among the men and then after, after the men leave or, you know, he leaves them and it's just him by himself and he's just talking about, oh shit, what if I really did fuck this? (laughs) You know, kind of. What if 250 guys can't be? 10,000 men. I should not. I should have not have read the history of the Battle of Thermopylae before I decided to come over to France. Can we make the longbows longer? (laughs) So... How do we make them shoot on their own? (laughs) Do we got extra ones? Before we go on to the last pin that's up there, which realistically is going to be a beautiful story about the time that we... 
that most of the people sitting at this table did Henry V. Um, I think that we should ask a question that's posed at the beginning, which mm-hmm. is, can Canterbury effectively distract the king away from taking away their lands and giving it back to the church? <laughs> and the answer is, you can. Well, Canterbury to be fair, didn't have to do shit. To be the fair, and yeah, it wasn't Canterbury. It was the Dauphin of France. The Dauphin. What do you think they did with the tennis balls? <laughs> we played tennis. Do you think he they... put them on the end of the longbow? No, because that would have blunted the arrows and wouldn't have killed anyone. I think he like had them made into his new scepter for when the war he was done. He fucking bronzed them and he wore them about his belt <laughs> like they were a pair of brass balls. <laughs> <laughs> He put them on the bottoms of his chair so they wouldn't squeak when he moved them. Oh, yeah. Oot, 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 He gave him to Sir John Falstaff for his walker. There we go. Falstaff's dead at this point. Oh. All right. Now, I know that this has to be a shorter one because we went so long in the first one. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing good. We're, we're doing, doing good? good? We're All right. at a half so, hour or so. Oh, good. What else we got? All right. So a lot of this play is... We'll skip. That's got to be the last thing. That yeah. disastrous one. Oh, no, I'm not no, just that. ignore this. I'm ignoring it. I'm yeah. not going to talk about the adaptation of the sorcerer. Well, no. Let's okay. Well, let's okay. Let's talk about the fact that that three of the four people on this podcast were in a production of Henry yes. Five ten years I, ago. Okay. Ten years ago. So I was part of the French camp and one of the traitors. And I need you all to know that I have flushed those characters. Straight out my fucking memory. Completely gone. They're gone. I remember sitting on stage with a couple of friends. I remember being like, okay, I've got a sash on and a sword. But for the most part, the French characters in this play are forgettable. And the traitors are forgettable. They are there as um, plot pushers, MacGuffins. Yeah. Yeah. So they are there to the Defoe sends a tennis ball that gets us over to France. The traitors are there that gets us moving into a more vicious Henry, mm-hmm. a Henry that's lethal at this point because he hasn't been lethal. He has to make the tough decisions yeah. and yeah. things like that. I mean, he's been lethal. Well, and it, the, the, the traitors, the, Percy, the, Henry the, Percy. The traitors right. set us up for what happens with Barrow. Right. Yeah. So because Henry makes that decision with the traitors. And if he doesn't stick to it with Bardolph, then he is what everybody says, and he's favoring his friends. He's wishy-washy, and he's favoring his pub friends, and so he has to treat Bardolph the same way, Mm -hmm. the same punishment for the same crime. Yeah. So, those characters are simply there to make things move forward in slashy killing Mm -hmm. manners. Yeah. And I played Mistress Quickly and Mondre the Herald. I was a going into my junior year of college, I believe, maybe my senior year. Had never performed Shakespeare before. Um, and Joe Connolly and I were like, I don't understand what this scene is saying. Do you understand what this scene is saying? Well Joe Connolly had not really yeah. done any And so we just decided to make all of the pistol and mistress quickly scenes just sound as sexual as possible. Which that works. Um, and then Montjoy the Heralds, where I had three big speeches and got shoved into a wall with a sword against my neck. Yep. And then you were... I was Henry. And uh, it was kind of the culmination. Like, I had I had gotten out of acting for a while, and this was part of the year where Travis Cook uh, made me do things. <laughs> um, 
I'd gotten out of acting for a long time and it started to come back and it was garbage because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't worked my instrument in a long time and <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, but were you polishing your armor? I was polishing the armor. Um, you know, and I had done some stuff and like I had been been in a few things and everything like that and then I did uh we did harm's way. Um you going to kill everybody in this day? Which was the unofficial First Lion Face show. Uh, unofficial because we did it technically. See, I can remember night. every line from that play. But you cannot remember. I can't remember a single fucking line from Henry V. You know, I had just, I had just gotten, you know, so like Travis had like told me, he's like, we, I can't do that play without you. So like I, I got railroaded into playing Saint Douche. And then I had done. Huh. And it ended up being incredibly cathartic and I'm very glad that I did it. Um, and then I had done five flights, uh, Stephen Herrick directed, and I was in with, you know, like, Darren Kerr and Sarah Chambers. Um, and then I, like, I wasn't gonna do Henry, but then I was like, I got talked into it. <laughs> and it ended up being a great experience for me, and being able to do. And I still, you know, I remember, like, <laughs> I remember dragging Michael Porteous around the park every day before rehearsal, and literally reciting every single one of Henry's lines to him every day before rehearsal and then before the show. They were in love. It was fine. Funny enough, Mike is now, funny enough, Mike is now living in the apartment that my girlfriend at the time was living in when we did the show. <laughs> mm. ah. Man, Hannah and I had just started dating not that long before we did this. She was in it. I got yeah. married at the end of the summer. Yeah. But this was a beautiful kid production. Yeah, Zan, beautiful kid. Zan was on. Zan was well. Zan was kind of in it. She. They ended up on stage. They ended up on stage. Scott Stuckshelty was in it playing Gower, but couldn't make one of the performances. So Zan stepped into Zan the role for that to, yeah, so, performance. So Zan ended up on stage, which is incredibly rare. Um, but the last pin that we have we says the disastrous rehearsal of Ot Nine. Tyler, Tyler um, was in this. Alex Bean, which is what we're going to talk about now. Yeah. Love so you, we Alex. had, we had, it wasn't just Alex though. It no, was no, that like, dress was bad. We had a dress rehearsal that was just it went off the rails. It was falling apart to the point where I think at one point Travis just went, "I'm just going to let you finish this and see what happens, man," because <laughs> I can't it, it even does, pull this it back. It does at this play point. into my superstition that if I do not have a bad dress rehearsal, I will have a bad performance. And this dress rehearsal. Was the yeah. king of bad. Oh my gosh, bad. it was so bad. We kept, like, we went up, kept missing easy scenes and easy speeches, and we were Whole all breaking. Things Whole things got skipped. We were all breaking on stage. Um, Alex Bean played Canterbury, which he's got a lot to say. And so he's in the middle of one of his big long speeches, and he forgot where he was, tried to find the thread of it again, started speaking, and realized that it was like 20 lines back with what he had already said. And so he stops in the middle of the speech and goes... I noticed before Alex did. <laughs> he stops in the middle of his speech and goes, I beg your pardon, your majesty, I do believe I have repeated myself. <laughs> and then tried to find where he was supposed to be and keep going. I felt so bad uh, for Alex because he's, so barely in, he's, he's barely in the play, but he speaks almost, and especially with our, the way it was cut by Travis, Yeah, almost as much as Henry. 
And he's in two scenes? Three? Oh, yeah, he's yeah. not in very many. I wish he would have gone to France so he could have died. And then he, also, <laughs> then he also, well, then Alex also played the French king. Yes, he also played the on French top king. Of it. Um, and then, I believe Heather was the Dauphin. Heather was yes. the Dauphin. Yep. Because I remember that, being, ma- that, that, that makes that the, the, the dummy voice much funnier. <laughs> Daddy! I was part of the shiny, the shiny, uh. <laughs> the sun is gilded her armor. Yeah. I think it was Sadie and Heather and I. That I the think reason I am not speaking much, particularly at this moment, is that I am the only one. I think I came into this group of people. Immediately after the well, show, well, you were because I, I was Titus. I directed was Titus. I directed right? Titus, and that was right after this, right? Yeah, at the in the at the fall at the fall of this Who year. Who are you again? Uh, I was Quintus. He played Quintus no, like, Andronicus. Why are we hanging out with this guy? Uh, uh, fuck man, I don't know. <laughs> fuck, you figured it out. Well, I'm married to her now, so yeah, that's true. He's got. Have you have you even met him? A couple times. She so met, well, she met him after the fall of 2009. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so Did there I was that. Did I until I was married? Have you never known Elizabeth Singer? I, I think I had met Elizabeth Singer because I we were was, in re- We were in rehearsals for Titus. Well, I probably. did, um. You might have been Well, I was a, um, uh, a Shatner's hanger-on. Ugh. I was August. a Shatner's a fair bit in the year previous because I lived with um, several Theta folk, uh, Brett Winzek and Kyle Pettigene and Wes Gilbert. Oh, Kyle, he's so beige. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, you. so there was, there was that moment with Alex and then Zan has oh. the scene with, with, uh, Fluellen and Pistol where they're telling off Pistol for being disrespectful to Fluellen, forgot the latter half of the monologue, but summed it up very nicely yes. with a, a line that lives on in infamy, which is they just ended it by going, "You are a rascal, fare thee well." You are out. a rascal, fare thee well. And then, yeah, like, they still end conversations that way. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember other specific stories from no, that but run, it, but it, it was the dress rehearsal. Went it was so brains. bad. It was terrible. Um. <laughs> But the shows were good. They were. Um, the night, well, the, the Sunday matinee was a bit rough. But that's because the first entrance I had on the ice. It's ten years ago. I have no idea. Oh, no, I remember. Because I was up Saturday night after the cast party until the sun came up <laughs> Sunday morning. I want everybody to know that this is not an abnormal thing for Ryan at this point in time of his life. That was when I could do that, though. I could drink until 7 or a.m. and then do a matinee. Yes. But that first step onto the stage, because we added the... Travis added the scene where the rebuke of Falstaff the re- yeah, he added the was rebuke added of to the beginning of the play. And when I walked out on stage into the bright sunlight, because the sun was right the fuck there, mm-hmm. it was painful. <laughs> That is a rough sta- Needle Hall is a rough stage position for, for a matinee. Uh, for, a mat- for a hungover matinee. Yeah, and I did all, all of my matinees. Oldest outdoor stage in Ohio. Hungover. Yes, Needle mm-hmm. Hall, oldest outdoor stage in Ohio. Yeah, but. And uh, we had done, we've done a lot of theater there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think I feel a little bit stronger of a connection to the show because I was in it. Um, but I also think it's a, it's a well-written 
play. The words are so good. It's, Even yeah. though some of them are droning at times, the words are so good. The language is yeah. beautifully written. Even the speeches that do drag on, the language is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So, are there other things for us I, to I don't talk about? I think so. The, I mean, the nice part about this play is that the meaning is on the page. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of deep dives. There's not a lot of metaphors we need to get into. We don't need to talk about how this relates to that or anything like that. It's straightforward. It's one of it's one of the histories, and it's one of the straightforward just... So, when Chase and I were in Medford, mm-hmm. um, we did an escape room. We talked about it a little bit on one of the yeah. Live yeah. from Medford yeah. episodes. Yeah, the Live from Medford episodes. Um, and one of the things we asked before we did it, because it was all based on your auditioning for Henry V, um, and get locked in the green room and have to escape. And one of the things we asked is, do you need to be really familiar with the show? And we were told, no, you don't. But I found that being familiar with the show going through, it just, it, it made, made it things, it made things funnier. Cause at one point you like pushed something on a thing and like this secret drawer opened and all of these tennis balls fell out onto the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that is funny. No, that it, is funny. I remember the puzzle because, um, because I solved it and I felt very smart for having done so because it was a, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it in case the puzzle is still then going Then don't on. do it. I'm not gonna. But there's tennis balls, my leash. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tennis balls, my leash. But it and was a real good aha moment. And then on another, I I did the thing that solved the puzzle, and I looked over, and all of these balls are falling on the floor. What the hell? And Cassie's cracking up on the other She's side of the screen. He's like, "What is this?" And I went, "Tennis balls, my leash." <laughs> and that. Is there foreplay? <laughs> You're not wrong. Nerds. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Everybody in the room push up their glasses because we are all wearing Um, But I also mm. got to explain Tennis Balls My Liege because Tennis Balls My Liege is a card in um, Bard's Dispense Profanity. Nice. Card game. Yes. And I played that with a group of people who didn't really know from Shakespeare at one point and they're like, Tennis Balls? And I went, what? A whole war was started on yeah, tennis balls, talk, my friends. Let's talk about these tennis balls. One of balls. the greatest speeches in Shakespeare's repertoire starts with tennis balls. Starts because a, a smarmy little uh, Draco Malfoy sends tennis balls to his enemies to mock him. It was so, funny, Duddy. It was, it was funny at the time. Still funny now, Duddy. Daddy, I said of tennis balls. And don't worry, even if you decide that you don't want to go to war, I've already made it so you have to. <laughs> I already I already made it happen. Also, the fact that you were so good at saying daddy like that, Chase, is upsetting. <laughs> daddy. It is a bit off putting. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> So we should definitely play the Shakespeare Cards Against Humanity game that you have. Bars to Spreads Profanity. Yeah, I also have a Shakespearean Deaths game. And I have, I, I have a Shakespeare Munchkin as well. Love my it. dad gave it. No. Maybe we should do some we'll have to do, we'll have gameplay to do some episodes. Game, game episodes. Maybe if we get to a point where like I don't want to read another Shakespeare for a month. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> let's take it. Let's take a break from reading a play and, and do that. All right, well yeah. we may get there after Henry the Sixth, Part One, Two, and Three. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Henry's not right away. Not right away. Well, there's Henry the Henry the Sixth, One, Two, and Three, and, and then, then there's. there's 
Henry VIII. Henry VIII. But Henry V isn't in that one. Yeah, he's definitely she not. She promise? In I promise. For Is sure. he in just part one? And we get, well, no, I'm promising that he's not in Henry VIII. Ugh. Yeah, and we get Richard III in there. He's also not in Henry VIII. No, he is not. That's but we get him in between. It's because he died. And got buried under a car park. <laughs> yeah, yes. but the globe's under a car park, too, so. I mean. Everything's under a car, car park, park in London. <laughs> <laughs> under a long enough time frame, we're all under a we car park. We built the globe over here by the river because it was pretty. Oh, but here's where the globe really was under this car park. <laughs> At this apartment complex. <laughs> Did they name the apartment complex after Shakespeare? No. <laughs> oh, you know what else? Uh, remember the Jack the Ripper tour that we went on? Yeah. And here is the uh, location of the murder of the final victim. Yes, it is a car park. <laughs> Everything's a they car park. They tore the in building London. down and built a car park. Everything's this, a car park in London. This deli is where her kidneys were found. <laughs> oh. Excellent. So are we all done but uh yeah, for Ryan's time. recitation? Yes, let's think, get, the, let's get okay. some recitation. So, so the St. Crispin's Day speech, um and to to set it, you know, the English are it's the morning of uh it's the night before the battle. Impossible odds. Impossible odds. Gloucester, Bedford, Westmoreland, Exeter, Salisbury, they're all there. They're all talking. And Westmoreland is being a fucking whiner. What? Yup. Westmoreland's like, I wish we had... It's like calling Monjoy a tattletale. Fucking <laughs> 10,000 more motherfuckers here. I wish we had 50,000 more motherfuckers here. And Westmoreland's like, oh, now that we had here but one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. Yeah, because they're all just... I was sitting back at home. Well, we thought that the uh, Scottish were going to come steal our eggs. fucking Scottish egg weasels. (laughs) Which is my new favorite band. Scottish egg weasels. (laughs) I should have found where that was. Where it's like, oh, the Scots. England is an eagle. And the Scots are weasels. They're going to come eat our eggs. So so we get to that. And then, then Henry, who is not in the scene up until this point, he enters in time to hear Westmoreland saying, I wish we had 10,000 more dudes. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are now to do our country loss, but if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. By Jove, I am not covetous for gold. Nor care I who doth feed upon my cost. It yearns me not if men my garments wear. Such outward things well not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I am the most offending soul alive. No faith, my cuz, wish not a man from England. God's peace, I would not lose so great an honor as one more man methinks would share from me for the best hope I have. Oh, do not wish one more. Rather, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he with which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put unto his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. 
He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when the day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups, freshly remembered. This story shall a good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. So fucking. What your neighbors must think we do. I, I was know. kind of hoping that we might hear like faint applause. <laughs> that would nice. I mean, you know. But no, no, it's, oh God, it's so good. And it's, everybody knows the last part. Yeah. We few, we happy few, we Very band of brothers. brothers. Everybody knows that. Yeah. I think honestly, one of my favorite parts of that speech is when he says, no, if you don't want to be here, go. go. Then go. Yep. I'll give you I'll money. Give you money. You can leave. I'll give you ten bucks for a taxi. Get the I'll fuck sh- out of here. I'll pay for your fucking Uber. Get the <laughs> fuck out my sight. If you don't want to die with me, then go. Do you think you'd have to pay? Go. I'll pay for you. Uber. So, so you really, might. the perfect way to like ruin the beautiful tension of that moment is to have boy <laughs> go. I am out. Or just get yeah. up. Just get up and walk away. Just like and walk. I, <laughs> he, he gets up and just holds out his hand and as money, uh, Henry, money, please, money, please. please. <laughs> and as, and as uh, Henry's still delivering the speech, he just reaches into his pocket, puts a fiver in his hand, and points. Doesn't even break speech. But no, it, it is. It's too. It's. It's not only. Not only does he say, "Don't wish for more men to be here and steal honor that we can all have." If you don't want to be here and die with me, go. Yeah, I'll do this with fewer men. Fine. Less men. The fewer men, the greater share of honor. Yeah. More for me. And that's, that's, that's the Henry that the, we've done. This is the sixth episode that we have done uh. on, on Hank V. But on that's also, Henry five. that's the Henry that got up in, uh, the pub. At the boar's head, in the first play as well, and was giving speeches about who the fuck knows at this point. Yep. I've read so many of these. <laughs> but this this is this is the culmination of what we've done. Three plays worth about is to go from we had to do one more the spoiled boy child to the king. Yeah, and how the spoiled boy child. Makes the king a better king. Yes. 
That's yep. the story that they're telling. And that's that's oh, the shit, story. I'm supposed to willfully misinterpret the whole thing. <laughs> yep, you're <laughs> supposed to. Guess what? You, you didn't, didn't do any of that. No, hold on, you hold got... on. We're not done. You didn't hit go. No, you, you didn't you, hit stop. You got it, Beth. I'm sorry, but you got it. Clear. You clearly. understand the spirit of Christmas. Clearly, <laughs> Christmas. Oh, uh, Christmas. You understand the spirit of Christmas. So, um, when does Falstaff come to stab the king? And take credit. <laughs> the, end nice of the, play, the end of the play, Falstaff yeah. comes on and goes, I killed the Dauphin. I thought you were dead. I, I did it brave. You left without me, but I, I brought your tennis balls. <laughs> hey, you forgot these. <laughs> it's still got it. He comes in bouncing a tennis ball on a single racket to himself. Who's up for a game? Yeah, who's up for a game? Tennis. Uh... Actually, one of the moments also, that Also, I... you know what? I'm going to say that Henry does not actually have a complete victory. Because he never knocked the king's crown off his head with a tennis ball. <laughs> yeah, but he did fuck his daughter. Not in this play. No. But it leads to the next play, Henry VI. Part well, one. One of the things Wait, that does I Hal remember... Wait, name again? No. To Henry VI? Is no, this, this is... is... Henry VI, part this... one, two, and three are about Is this the sixth play about son. Henry? No. No? Is this um, the sixth Henry we've had? There there was no. a, a moment uh, that it's like a, it's a really fleeting moment, but it's a really powerful one if you've done as much studying of the Henry plays as we have. And what? it's when uh, I think it's Fluellen is talking to somebody and they bring up Falstaff and he can't remember his name. He's like, oh, yeah, that guy that the king used to hang around with. What was his name? I don't remember. Mm, Falstaff, maybe? No, not important. And it's kind of just like, oh, man. Yeah, yep. And it is. It is a little bit of a... Well, think about your youth and how much is gone from it. I mean, Ryan, you've lost a lot of youth. You are basically the same age as you. You're older. By a year. Important year. No, when you're in your late thirties, like we are. I'm not. I'm still in my mid thirties. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm only thirty six. You keep holding on to that. It's literally the middle of the thirties. The middle would be thirty five. Yeah, thirty four, thirty five, thirty six, mid thirties. So you're adding some. I'm not beginning thirties. Thirty, thirty one, thirty two, thirty three, maybe. No. You're you're old. It's okay. <laughs> We're both old. These two are spring let's chickens. Just, They're just, like in their. Hey, let's like, just destroy know. Chase for being too young and move on. You're too young. Now move on. <laughs> All right. Or in the, as, as to to quote Zan, you are a rascal. Fairly well. Fairly well. That's how we should end this. Yes. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Chase Greenley. This has been Shakespeare. And you are a rascal. Very well. well.